What if we all need to consider the implications of the move from the third floor to the garage? Or is there a new way to think about church in the aftermath of the end of Christendom or the end of the most recent model for church? Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Path Theological, the podcast or the pastor theologian. Remember, you can find us at toddlittleton.net, paththeological.com, or paththeological.net. And you can uh, look for us in iTunes or subscribe in Stitcher, your favorite podcatcher. Today on the podcast, we have Spencer Burke. I met Spencer in about oh, 2001 or so, about 15 years ago. And since that time, we have forged a, a friendship, a relationship that's been... Uh, 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 mutual uh, admiration, uh, part mentor, uh, part working relationship along the way. And today we talk a little bit about that relationship and move into talking about the power of metaphor on our way to discussing his most recent project with the Disciples of Christ Pacific region called the Hatchery L.A., you won't want to miss this. We talk about a wide range of subjects and implications from is it possible that the best posture in the world for a Christ follower is hospitality and humility? Is it more important to consider uh, both and as a plurality? And finally, what are the ways that metaphors might unlock future possibilities? for the church, and for we who follow Jesus. Stay tuned after the podcast. I have a couple of uh, uh, thoughts in the aftermath of this particular podcast and, and pointing you to some things to come. But uh, do me a favor and share the podcast. I think this will be a really important one for pastors, in fact, for everyone who is trying to make sense of church. And we'll get to kind of where that phrase comes from. And if you want to read the notes, show notes, or the blog post, there'll be a little more information there, how you can uh, follow Spencer, contact Spencer. And if you are intrigued by his most recent project, uh, there will be a, a link to in, in the blog post or the show notes uh, to get information about the Hatchery L.A. So, as always, thanks for listening. And here's uh, my conversation with Spencer Burke. Hey, Spencer, I'm glad to have you on the podcast today. I'm glad to be with you, Todd. It's always wonderful to see you and hang. Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking uh, when I when I messaged you while I was on vacation, I was I was thinking about uh, how long it's been since we've known one another, and it, it's got to be around 2000, 2001. So you know, fourteen, fifteen years, uh, we've we've kind of forced. I think a, uh, an enjoyable. It's been an enjoyable friendship for me. Absolutely, you were the very first E-Trek group. I was amazed. It was such fun. Very enjoyable. You've always been out on the edge trying to ask the questions, uh, thinking far beyond the box, or at least another box. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And, and you know, I, 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 I don't remember if I ever told you this, but, you know, when, when I got that, uh, that email you sent out about the first E-Trek, and I read through kind of the description of who it was for, I, I almost didn't apply because I thought, boy, that doesn't describe me. You know, I, I, you had a target. I, I felt like I might be just a little older. 
Uh, but it turned out that it was perfect. It was perfect uh, timing. It, w- it was perfect for me. And, and uh, you know, over the years, I've been doing this almost 30 years now, there have been a, um, a few people that have been instrumental at, at very important points uh, of my life and vocation. And that was really a, a, a good time, a life-giving moment to meet you. And I want to talk about that for just a little bit. Yeah. The thing that was really fun is that basically any time that people are willing to step out on something that has never been done before, those are the people I like to play with. Those are the people I like to hang with. And I think that's why the relationships from that group have lasted so long and so wonderfully. Uh, You you really do get to try some things because there's a lot of grace, hospitality, Mm -hmm. humility in that uh, space. Uh, and I thought that was just wonderful. It was really fun. Oh, yeah. I, I still think fondly of uh, Louisville. Uh, and then uh, our last time we were uh, all together there on the pier uh, near your place. And I just think about those guys and, you know, where they are and what's going on. And, in fact, Rodney Hufty is actually here in Oklahoma City. He, he leads a Young Life group over near Bishop McGinnis High School. And uh, so every now and then we get to see each other and kind of keep up from time to time. And who would have ever thought that would have happened, you know? That's great. That's wonderful. Yeah, one, one of the things that um, I've, I've often mentioned to some younger pastors, to some friends who are facing some of the uh, those moments of, uh, you know, dissonance where you, you kind of start feeling some questions rising up and then you start maybe making some shifts uh um maybe theologically maybe practically or pragmatically and they run into a circumstance where it's well what do i do i'm 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 at this church or i'm in this vocational setting what do i do and my first thing is to tell my spencer burke story you know i i tell them uh, about i think we were we see we started in september and it was about april the following year uh, we got on the phone and I was telling you, hey, so what do you do? Because I remember your essay the th- from the third floor of the garage. And I'm like, so what, what, what do I do? And you had this, you had two words. No, three. Don't be rude. And I've told people, I said, now listen, I had, I had my pencil out. I was ready for this really long description of what to do. And, and man, I was ready to put it into practice. And it's going to just change my world. And I got, don't be rude. And for a moment, I was like, okay, so what else? And there wasn't anything else. It was, don't be rude. So tell me, where, where, does that, where did that come from for you? What, what led you that, because you... you you're, you're often self-deprecating, um, but you're a good leader. You're, you're, you're really good at what you do. You're, you, you know, in the, in the kind of classic sense, you're very pastoral. You're, you're, you're very empathetic. And, and so where did, where did that piece of advice come from? Was it an experience? Was it, what, what was it? Um, man, I don't even know. Uh, apart from the fact that I practiced it. Uh, and so it became real and living. Uh, so I know that I had moved uh, from a number of different places, you know. So 
you know, they called me the Forrest Gump of the evangelical world, you know? So I was in the tent with Calvary Chapel, you know, and then I was in the mega church with Hybels and Warren and our church Mariners. You know, I got a front row seat with the emerging church through the ooze. And, and now with what's kind of happening, I get kind of a fun, a playful way of being with the innovation out on the front row, kind of with these common cause communities. So every time I moved, you can either choose to move and be angry uh, and justify your position or out of insecurity or fear, push people away. Um, but in reality, uh, uh, I just think don't be rude is a great little axiom for life. You know, so uh, the, the other side is that um, there isn't a right way of doing these things, you know? <laughs> so um, in leaving a place, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of things to think about. Leave it better than when you found it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and that means spiritually, that means physically, that means emotion. I mean, every, every one of those things. Um, but then I also think that there is this sense that uh, when we're moving to something new or we see something fresh, we have an awakening, an evolution, whatever you want to call it, there is a place where we move and we go, ah, oh, now this is the right way. This is God's perfect will. This yeah. is, you know, I don't know what, you know, but right. we get all this crazy stuff. And so there's a place where I think we can simply say, it's just different. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, We're yeah. moving to, and you know, and spiral dynamics allows you to kind of embrace, you know, each of these spots and then not judge the other. Right. And I think that's a big part of it. Um, and I think uh, the other part is kind of my other axiom for life, it, which is if uh, a kind of a little life saying, you know, <laughs> it's like if I'm not a little embarrassed about what I said yesterday, then I probably haven't learned anything today. I, I um, remember that often. Yeah. And so there is this sense, you know, even when I'd write a book like Heretics Guy and I'd be interviewed, you know, and someone would say, well, why did you write this? And I'd look and I go, hmm, I'm not sure. Wow. That, you know, I probably could change. And they're like, well, then why did you write it down? And I think in spirituality, in church work, in Christianity, we have been boxed. We box ourselves, hmm. honestly. I think we box ourselves into a corner to say that we need to know the answers. We have to be right. Um, and so we, I think in some ways, defend positions we don't even believe in anymore, mm. but because we can't back down. Mm. Um, and in that way, I think we can be fearful, insecure, and rude. Uh, and that's just not helpful for the kingdom, you know? Right. Uh, so. Yeah, you know, you said when you, when you described that, I, I remember another, another um, shift in, in my thinking through our conversations. Uh, let's see. You said there are two ways to approach um, looking at uh, subjects and trying to either understand them or kind of work through them and then lead from that point. And you said you can be, uh, let's see, you said normally people are tell-assertive, but there is a way to be ask-assertive, and one of them is more respectful than the other of the other person. And that would be, of course, being ask-assertive. Because it becomes leading rather than telling or coercion, uh, and I, I I picked that up when you 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 were you were talking there. Yeah. 
Well, I think it is an interesting idea because it's the same thing. It's just a different approach. In fact, sometimes ask assertive people can be more dogmatic than <laughs> tell assertive. You know, tell assertive is the way in which people go like, hey, you know, let's say you're trying to figure out where we're going to lunch. Hey, we're all going to, you know, have tacos, you know, and and they're not really saying we're going to have tacos. What they're saying is, hey, I'm going to put this out there and I want you to feed back but they're tell assertive. So they tell you what they're going to do, but that's not really what they're committed to. They're just doing it. And ask assertive is a, the opposite. Uh, and it's a little bit of this idea of saying, oh, um, you know, I was thinking we could do hot dogs or we could do salads or uh, maybe we could do tacos. What do you think? Well, the problem is the tell assertive people, the people come off so strong, usually don't care as much. People who are asking assertive, sometimes they just want to do tacos. You know? <laughs> but, but there is a sense that it's a, it does invite people. It, 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 and I, I guess probably, and we've talked about this before too, is that um, I think hallmarks today of movements of the spirit, of really the Christ ethos, you know, is hospitality hmm. and humility. Hmm. And so, you know, don't be rude. You know, the idea of uh, if I'm not a little embarrassed, you know, mm-hmm. what I said, right. uh, the idea of even being a little bit more ask assertive. These are all ways in which we can invite others to participate and be a part without losing ourselves, mm-hmm. but also not trying to convince, convert, uh, um, coerce other people uh, into a particular position Um, especially if we're moving from a place of insecurity Uh, and we're in times that tend to be a little bit more unknown than known um, or not yet revealed. And why not take a little bit more of a position of uh, humility? um, And then in the long run, you know, maybe we can have a conversation where before it may have been shut down if we're rude. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, <clears throat> I was thinking about, because those are actually, you know, generally different forms of, of leadership or, or diff- different forms of, of, of doing uh, leading. And, and along the way, <clears throat> you also developed kind of as part of um, the way you led E-Track, the, uh, the Solarize, um, and we're going to talk more about the hatchery in a little bit. Um, but you you, you ad, ad, adapted a, a particular medium, and that was a metaphor. Uh, and and so you know one of the thing, last things we did there on the pier was you asked us to come up with a you know life metaphor. And most people don't even think about you know that sort of thing because they've really not thought through the power of metaphor and and what that can mean to moving forward because uh, a metaphor is is a little bit less certain it it has a bit more amorphous edges and allows for growth rather than maybe saying this is who I am or this is what I am. I get to use a metaphor that then in pursuing that metaphor might take me to a new metaphor somewhere down the road. You know, so I remember uh, kindling, um, and uh, and we talked about you know we talked about 
you know, getting things started and moving to the next thing. And that has been, you know, one of your hallmarks. It, it, you, you've never really felt like I needed to own it all the way to the end. It's like, what's the next thing? And let's go. And someone can take this one. And the, I don't have to own these things. And, and, and so that, that becomes a, um, a life-giving metaphor that says there are limitless possibilities instead of being boxed into, well, I can only teach at the megachurch. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Um, the uh, uh, back when uh, wrote the little book uh, uh, "Making Sense of Church," yeah. and it was at such a volatile time that everybody was, you know, throwing out Bible verses to proof text their idea, or they were throwing out tradition or dogma, and uh, and there were a lot of litmus tests at that time. They would ask you a question, and the way you answered that would put you in a box that allowed them to discount you yes. in some way. Yes. But it went both ways. Sure. I mean, progressive, liberal, conservative, doesn't matter. Uh, everybody does it, mm-hmm. you know. So in writing the book, I was trying to figure out, man, if I just simply say, here's my theological underpinnings of my transformation, or here's my dogma or the way into the five steps to being the church, you know, in the emerging world or whatever. And again, we didn't even know it was the emerging world, but right. that's what right. you know, right. labeled later. So a metaphor, again, my background is photography. I taught at the university level, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I love picture. I love words. I love story. Yeah. Um, and so what I would do is I would try to ask people, you know, like if we were going to look at it in, metaphorically, you know, and you drive them back to scripture, you know, in, in some ways it was the magic of what Jesus did, mm-hmm. which was, you know, um, you know, here's a parable, you know, Hey, look, right. here's a tree, <laughs> you know, here's a, a bread, here's a, you know, whatever it might be uh, in this beautiful, wonderful story. Uh, and sometimes stinging, you know, like yes. a good Samaritan. I mean, like there are places where you want to get slapped, you know, <laughs> like right. those are crazy. Um, but they opened up the conversation. And so metaphors have helped me open up the conversation. Uh, you know, one might be back then evangelism. Now it just seems silly. You know what I mean? Like you right. kind of know your work, your work is done when it's just part of the normal conversation. Right. But back then, evangelism was the idea of warlike activity. You were there to find converts. You were there to conquer someone. You were there to crush their understanding and then rebuild them with a Christian uh, idea. Um, and so what would happen is we, we used warlike uh, metaphors. And, and as subtle as it is, you got to realize back then, now almost a lot of these organizations have changed their name even, mm-hmm. but it was Campus Crusade mm-hmm. for Christ. Mm-hmm. I think if you were a Muslim brother or sister, yeah. <laughs> like that organization, that's not a real sweet spot to, for witnessing. You know? <laughs> it was the Billy Graham Crusades. I mean, these are beautiful, wonderful people, but they bought the metaphor. There was the harvest crusades. There's like on and on and on. It was warrior-like mentality for evangelism. And we just challenged people to think about a different metaphor, Mm -hmm. and that was gardening. So in a lot of ways, it was, you know, the the scripture would say, take up your full armor and, you know, go in, you know, like in that kind of thing. Well, then we say, but, you know, also Jesus talked about sowing seed that falls on certain ground. And so you could help them understand a little different metaphor. And it lessened the idea, although it was, uh, it was good Samaritan talk. You know what I mean? Right. right. Really were saying, 
uh, the way in which you're doing it right now will get you the opposite effect of what you want to do. Exactly. And people who had ears to hear were tough on us because they're saying, wait, you're actually saying this. It's like, no, no, we're just talking metaphorically, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And, and then, of course, moving it into life, it's wonderful to think about a life metaphor. And so kindling is something that I take. And it doesn't have to be forever and ever. Sure. But is this idea of a catalyst or an idea? And that helps me. And then I think I may have even challenge you to go out and try to find something that represented that, you know, mm-hmm. and I live have back home uh these sticks that i put together about 20 years ago uh that was a kindling pack out in the middle of the little uh forest we were in and that reminds me of some of the beautiful parts of uh who i am and also lets me off the hook because i can't be other things you know oh, <laughs> we're right. all you know no that's right that's right and you know on that line uh i know that that in a lot of ways we could say that that little book making sense of church is you know maybe it it had its day but as you describe it there are a lot of those um metaphorical shifts as you've well noted have actually become part and parcel of kind of how we talk about things today uh which simply proves the power of metaphor uh and while there may have been some resistance early on it really is interesting that um you see those things still popping up um, you know, I talked to Joe Myers uh, a few months back, you know, I told him the same thing about search to belong. I'm looking forward to interviewing him, but, but, you know, there's some things about search to belong that were ahead of its time in terms of small group. And he said, yeah, I still, I actually get more people asking me about that book today than, you know, maybe people were paying attention then. And I actually think that as, you know, things kind of tend to progress where we are, Making sense of church still works, especially when we're in the day where people are asking why church still. And so those metaphors actually give us maybe a better way to describe what maybe we were ineffectively doing with those more coarse pictures that we were painting about our work. So, well, and ultimately, some of those metaphors allow you to break out of the building, uh, you know, right. break out of uh, traditional models, uh, funding, you know, all of that. Um, so sometimes starting with a metaphor around a theme, you know, because evangelism was the theme, right. you know, and so there was one side of it looking at it was warlike uh, or warrior. And then the other was gardener. Mm-hmm. And it was just, asking, which do you want to be? Well, a warrior needs a strong infrastructure, top down command generals, you know what I mean? Like all the marching, a gardener really can be individual entrepreneurs out there. Right. Uh, and some may focus on carrots and others might focus on rice. And there might be even radically different ways of cultivating that. So if you say evangelism is warrior, there's only one way of doing that. Right. But if you are creating rice, you are going to flood that you know, baby, you know, but if you're doing uh, cactus, you know, or if right. you're doing, you know, you, that would destroy it. You know right. what I mean? Right. Um, some have a harvest to time very quickly. Others have a long period of time, exactly. you know? Yeah. So it, it, the metaphor can even, it'll always break down, but it sure. helps you ask different questions. Uh, and so like I have found that even those metaphors today help us say, well, we are evangelizing, but let's think about this. How do we do that? Right. Uh, you right. know, like here, you want one other fun one? Yeah, uh, kind yeah. of play. Yeah. All right. And uh, uh, I, uh, so the idea that scripture says you're the light of the world, right? 
and you think of a Thomas Kincaid painting, that wonderful little, you know, it's great. All right. I love that. Uh, but that's kind of nostalgic. You know, right. we think that there really is this little light of mine. Why would I hide on a bushel? No, you know, all I can. And we think that the only way to be witness, the only way to be church, the only way to be ministry, the only way to be that light is in a traditional way. Well, ultimately what I'm saying is that, that not only does that exist, but there may be a new way. Mm-hmm. And that is thinking about a light bulb, right? Right. And a light bulb creates the same kind of uh, uh, luminescence, same kind of visual ability to see. Um, and But it really works in a different way. So this is where it does metaphors can be extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. So the transition of what we're doing now, metaphorically, I'm asking questions because in a fireplace, you need three things, you know, you need a source, you know, you need, um, uh, a, uh, um, uh, like what it burns, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Then you need an environment for it. Right. Mm-hmm. So for a light bulb, you have, I'm sorry, for a fire, you just need a match, right? Mm-hmm. Or oil or something, you know, but it burns up. The fuel is just more and more logs. Right. Uh, and, and the environment is really oxygen. Mm-hmm. So think about as we're trying to do church now, what are we doing? We're, we're using non-renewable sources, <laughs> oil, wood, fire. You know. We're trying to make it brighter so we just throw more and more on the fire, mm-hmm. more Horses, fog machines, worship bands, I don't know, whatever it is that you think is going to get people in the door. But again, it just is utilizing more and more stuff, but maybe not giving you the effect. And then lastly, the environment is oxygen, hmm. which is what we think of. Here's what church is. It's a Sunday morning, attractional based you know, uh, come to our room, our building, and we'll do a teaching-based kind of thing. Well, now here's the flip. What I'm saying is, as we move forward, maybe we move away from teaching-centric churches, Mm -hmm. service-centric churches, and service meaning serving in our neighborhood, serving uh, those that are less fortunate, you know, in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But here's the problem. People are going, wait a minute, where's the oxygen? Wait a minute, where's the wood? Wait a minute, where's the fill? But a light bulb you know, it needs electricity, something you can't see. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different mm-hmm. power that's oh, wow. not controlled by the old church structures. Mm. And they don't have the power company because they've been chopping wood, see? So now they're going, wait a minute, this is a power shift. I'm not comfortable with this, right? right. Uh, and the second is, it's not more wood. All of a sudden, it's a halogen light or an LED light or it's... Right. Uh, you know, a neon light <laughs> and the brightness doesn't come just because it's hotter. It might be cold to the touch. See, and that's confusing for people because they think they have to work harder where they're going, wait a minute, don't you have to be ordained? Wait a minute. Don't you have to get a MDiv or PhD or wait a minute. Don't you have to have a building? Don't you have a secretary or worship? You know what I mean? And you're going like, no, this is a different kind of light. And then ultimately this is the killer in the metaphor, and that is a light bulb. The environment is a vacuum, not oxygen. Oh, yeah. So it's the exact opposite of everything that helped us be church in the past. 
will not move us as an environment forward. So what do millennials need and want? And service-centric churches really suck the air out of the old models. And, and I'm not saying that it has to be either or. I love incandescent bulbs in my right, house. Right. But I also love LEDs, you know. So how do we find both? But you see the power of a metaphor when you really play it out. So can we be the light of the world, but in a little tiny LED bulb? You know, that's so you get, you get oh, what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's a perfect move to say. So if we go back and say, well, when when you went from the, you know, and this could be a, a bit of a metaphor, used it in your essay, uh, from the third floor to the garage, um, you, you started to ooze. Uh, and then you wanted to get people you wanted to uh, listen to and, and, and uh, have hospitality with. So you started Solarize. Then there were some people you wanted to learn with and from, so you started eTrek, and and now you are involved in another um, uh, expression of a metaphorical life using a metaphor. I mean, so the Hatchery LA is just kind of that continued use of the metaphor. So tell us about the Hatchery. What in the world is going on in LA at the Hatchery? Yeah, so the hatchery really is an incubator for what we call common cause communities. So a, a common journey in the way of Jesus, a cause to rally around, and then a community to deepen relationships. And we think that this is the service-centric model for churches. Now, just like there was the Jesus People Movement and the mega church and the emerging church, I don't believe that there's probably more than 15 years for common cause communities. <laughs> you know, he's like, let's just hold it loosely and realize that it's a model and it's a you know cultural veneer over. But it's what we've always done is ecclesia. You know what I mean? Right. The coinage of it is the idea of being able to gather and be the hands and feet and light in the world, right? Uh, be Jesus incarnate in a sense. Um, and so for me, I'm not trying to say, oh, here's the next model. Here's let's everybody buy onto it, whatever. Uh, but what I am saying is that I waited around. We talked in, you've been with me on so many workshops, so many. And I'd say, here, think of this. Here, I, that light of the world thing's been around forever. The metaphors was back in 2001, you know, like, so it's not like, um, you know, it's not like I haven't been asking people to step up. And finally, I just realized, hey, no one's stepping up. And so uh, I got to just step up myself. You know what I mean? And uh, I found a wonderful partnership. I did a lot of research to try to find how we can kind of connect movements to institutions and figure out ways to create the best for both of them. So with the Pacific Southwest region, Disciples of Christ partnered, I'm now even ordained. I never thought I'd ever get ordained because I didn't, I didn't want to be connected. You know what I mean? right. And this group literally is a group that I need as much as they need me. Right. And that's the beautiful relationship, you know? So in that way, um, it's a research and development project basically here in Southern California and so hatchery is the metaphor, hatching new innovative works. We invite up to nine students, innovators, to come each year for a three-year program uh, to graduate with a master's in theology, 
public theology to actually get uh, all of the lean startup social entrepreneurial training and development and then also spiritual direction so we believe that really the new seminary in fact you can go to startupseminary.org which is a little website i do uh, with these ideas but also hatcheryla.com is the big program um And so ultimately, we think there's three things that we're trying to train new pastors in. So just like the light bulb had three different things. So these are the practical parts of training, I think. And that really is a spiritual director, the ability for someone to go deep within their own journey, honestly and authentically, and invite others on that same journey. Uh, Then the second is a facilitator. So they don't need to be the theologian, the teacher, the entrepreneur in the sense of being able to run the business and books and whatever, but they have to be an amazing facilitator and know why they would invite people to join and uh, towards the vision and direction. So a facilitator is the other part that we train in. And then the, uh, the last one is the whole idea of social entrepreneur. So they really are an entrepreneur. And seminaries is a, and a, a very strong part that's missing right now, which is how do you create a minimal viable product? How do you do A-B testing? How do you create platform? How do you actually create a sustainable model of your cause that invites people to go deeper into community, um, whether that be an after-school tutoring program, an urban garden, a coffee shop? You know, there's a, a, a number of things that people do. And that's where we help people kind of think through that. So that's the, that's the metaphor uh, for students to come and be a part Um, and then, you know, we're always looking for ways because what happens is a lot of people, they probably ask you this too. They're saying, wait a minute, I'm not one of the nine. (laughs) I I can't move to LA. I can't make that commitment, you know? Uh, and so we actually started a cohort as well for Mm -hmm. people who are in ministry now that want to make a commitment, uh, to learning together. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, so much of the information that we put, but again, I've got this belief that, um, everything's on a continuum, you know, like one is a blog, you know, it's a little bit like what we're doing. Hey, listen, I love that they're doing this. No relationship, no connection, whatever. Then a 10 is kind of like what we did with E-Track mm-hmm. or what we've done with Hatchery, which is come move here, be a part. But there's a whole bunch of things in between, right. you know what I mean? Right. And some people have the luxury and uh, funding to be able to do the 10s and others just have the one. So how do we offer something? And so the, the cohort's probably right in the middle there sure. where it's, you know, so those are some of the things that uh, the hatchery is trying to do is to try to help people think in innovative ways to create a sustainable model of new churches that are service centric rather than just teaching. Yeah, I, you know, when when uh, you and I talked about this as you were kind of thinking about getting it off the ground and all it would take and what was involved and. You know, I I began thinking about the lingering influences of that first e-track and kind of a move in that direction, even though at the time, of course, didn't have any way to envision what it was ultimately going to arrive at with something like the hatchery. And, and I got to thinking that, you know, this could be an invigorating thing actually for pastors who are in churches who may feel a little bit like they're on a wheel and they just keep spinning and they, they do like some of us recognize it. You've been in a place for a period of time and you keep saying the same things, you keep doing the same programs, you keep touting the same emphases and you look out and they're great people, wonderful people, you're sharing life with them, you love them. But 
they still need to get they still need to grasp the good samaritan and so no matter how many times that comes up in your cycle of preaching or how many times you can draw it in from another text or another story unless you're actually enacting or doing something that forces the activity itself it really is just something that rolls around in someone's head some people may be fine with that for you know a long long time but some of us were like okay so Let's see. I like the people, love the relationships. We've 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 got a pretty good ethos. How can we move to a in a sense a common you know re-engineer this to a common cause community. And on that continuum, you know, you're not maybe planting a new church in another town or urban center or suburb somewhere, but you're actually replanting yourself with a different vision in your own community. And and I think that maybe hopefully some of the listeners will take that away, that, that while maybe they do need to be one of the nine and pick up and, and move to L.A., by the way, the weather's great, the Spencer and Tripp and the gang are wonderful, I mean, Spencer's been trying to get me to California for about 15 years. So, you know, um, but but if if you're like me and you're in a place where you just are surrounded by loving people and you just would like to see um, maybe deeper roots in a community that are, are, are uh, delivering on a common cause around the, the call of Jesus, then, you know, don't feel like you have to leave to go do that. You know, pick up some of these pictures and images of what it is to... Um, maybe be a common cause community. So pick up a few books on entrepreneurship. Uh, understand the power of social media. Uh, pick up a, a book on the power of metaphor if you're unfamiliar with it. Um, read read a few uh, books that contain lots of those and then and then go to work. And I, I, yeah. I th- what, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. So um, one of the things that I don't know, I mean, in the same way that, uh, you know, I always want to be a little bit ahead of the curve. And so part of what I think we're doing with Hatchery with students is a little bit ahead of the curve, in a sense, as we're talking to other denominations and seminaries and others are like, wow, that's so it's interesting. Oh, you know, and we don't have to, to write any of the wrongs of the past because we're starting from scratch you know what i mean so that's one real huge benefit for us we don't have the overhead we don't have all that stuff but we're also discovering though that with this cohort idea uh part of the fascination of this is that uh i don't know we've ever been in a time in ministry when we have so many people who could literally take part of their work. Again, it's not either or, let's not be rude. Right. Uh, there's, you know, there's light bulbs and Kincaid paintings. You know what I mean? right. Like, right. let's say you got a Kincaid painting church, you know, what I mean? and they right. want you to do that. Most churches today will say probably 20 to 40% of your job needs to be Kincaid painting here. Mm-hmm. Keep, keep the little flame alive in the right. cabin for us. And we'll be really happy campers. You right. know what I mean? Right. But when you start to talk about their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren now, which is just amazing how fast time goes, but and you say, hey, I would love to spend 60 to 80% of my time in developing this idea of a common cause community. It's both and, not either or. Exactly. I don't want to be rude. I don't need to move anywhere because God put me here. Here's my roots. Here are my people. You know, one of the things that's difficult 
And that's why we make people actually create their common cause beta model here is because you can't come here to learn and then go plant it somewhere else. You got to do it here, then duplicate it right. later. So that's what our innovators will do. But for people who are already in community, have a parish, have a relationship, they've got it good in a sense. You know what I mean? They've got every resource they need. And I'll tell you, I think it will energize the church I as know. well. It won't de deplete. It'll actually create wonderful energy. Now, I do want to caution people, though, too, and that is two things I learned. <laughs> One is in sharing that you're going to do something different. Uh, my big mistake with our region was that I did not prepare them to understand that I was trying to be bilingual. You know, so I used language that seemingly was rude. See? Uh church as we know it is fading from the landscape of our culture yeah. well how are you gonna feel about that you're you get pissed you know what i mean right. and we're helping this guy what's he doing he's screwing us you know yeah. like that's not helpful you know so one thing i would say is try to find a metaphor i mean hatchery i thought was powerful but i didn't play it out the way i could have you know what i mean so part of it is to help people even with a metaphor to understand what you're doing how does this reach the next generation it's a both and kind of thing so that's for the innovation that's for those that want to be the pioneers but then for the others and i have found this in our region as well that there is a little bit of fear. There's a little bit of unknown, you know? And so it's like, well, wait a minute, what are we doing there? What's going on there? What's the new thing? Why isn't my thing okay? You know, that kind of deal. And so there's a strength in, uh, so as I've kind of consulted with churches, you know, you'll end up at that one moment where people are like, oh, I can't, this would be amazing. This would be great. And we talked about the 60-40 or the 80-20 of the, the pastor's role, the funding, and they're all excited about that. And then you say, okay, we'll start these two churches and then we'll move forward. And then at some point, people will go, oh, well, then let's do a, a blended or a merge service and whatever. And I go, well, that's fine. I'm totally okay with that. But realize that 80% of your resources and staffing and time has been to make this so that in that service, 80% of it will be for them, not for you. Oh, no, I can't do that. You know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> there's a little bit of difficulty. But then people have the wisdom to go, oh, I get it. They might be two different ones reaching two different audiences and will find as many ways to serve together. Because I actually think with the Common Cause Communities, there's a book I've got called Unretired, you know, mm -hmm. which is new generation is huge, large, even, you know. And so uh, if millennials are leading and all of a sudden people aren't just trying to go on cruises or retire or whatever, now they're some of the best volunteers to come in and create the volunteerism for that common cause community and it brings them together anyways they wanted a teaching centric church they get that the others want a service centric church and they can go serve there but once they say no it's got to be a teaching centric uh, church that's when the oxygen comes in and <laughs> the filament burns out real quick yeah. you know, vacuum's the way to go with that so i don't know if that works but that's mm -hmm. what the cohort I, this is the experiment that we're taking a hatchery which is can we help you know, develop, coach, work with, equip with the, the live, learn, launch curriculum that we have here online and coaching to help them not wander 
or squander that 80% of their time and uh, money uh, and effort. Uh, and so the cohort is a place where we've experimented this last year and we're going to go f- uh, public on it in September. So right, I right. don't know. Yeah. Knows where it'll go. No, I and I think I think the one thing that um, uh, you emphasize I think is really critical, and uh, and and this again is something you helped me with uh, long ago, and that is, is, you know, growing up in an either or environment, it's very difficult to learn the both and, um, because we so associate whichever we choose the either or the or as being the way instead of one way. And so the both and actually, to me, liberates um, a, a pastor or minister who might be in a place to say, well, there, there can be more than one way, more than one thing. more, And, and so um, it, it should take the sting out of uh, a sense of plurality in a, in, in a church that, we, you know, we've got, we've got a young uh, Sunday school class that Tommy is uh, leading right now. And um, she was telling me some of the dreams that their classes, they've, they're, they're, oh, maybe two months old or so. And they're talking about maybe partnering with a um, church under the bridge uh, that cooks breakfast for homeless folks and maybe going down there during their early Sunday morning Bible study time, helping cook breakfast, be back here because they also want some teaching time. But these are the kinds of things that they're wanting to do. And that's a both and. It's like, oh, I didn't know we could do that. Well, why can't you do that? You know, And I think that that's the, I think if, you, if the both and can break anything, it actually breaks out of you know kind of that box or that, that mold that says, no, you can't. And then it takes those young 20-somethings and gives that kind of wiring that, that the culture has given them to go do something. They don't have to go somewhere else to do it. There's opportunity right here. and But they absolutely love those uh, in our community who are older than they are and wise or who, or who are double grandparents for their children or who are confidants that they don't have because their family lives elsewhere. And they don't want to give up that. But they really want to go, and service is the thing that really is their that you know gets their uh, energy up. It gets their blood going, you know. And I think that maybe if there were a few testimonials along the way of how that works, that both hand works, you know, we might save some guys and girls from burnout, you know. Uh, um, from- yeah, I think that's very wise, and I think that we ha- we are moving into a place where we are comfortable with saying that um, uh, there may be multiple ways of looking at it. Now, here's the thing that I want people to understand, though, from my point of view. Uh, so I believe in kind of evolving absolutes. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that ultimately, what I believe right now, I believe with all my heart. You know, But again, if I'm not a little embarrassed, you know what I mean? so there is this sense that I build a whole system around it, and I believe in it, and I move forward in it. But I'm always willing to have humility and hospitality, even for theology, even for ideas. I mean, you know, I hope if Jesus showed up, you know, and I was like in the first century, I wouldn't go, he's crazy, God's only this. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. So there is this sense that Jesus will show up in different ways. You know, the way of Jesus will be here. So let's be, let's have hospitality. And so ultimately, I think that the idea of being able to host these or hold these or um, uh, allow these to be part of it really creates a context for people to be able to not just hold one or the other, 
and I think the key to that is like a, a person like Thomas Merton for me really is the embodiment of it. Right. So Merton, even on the, 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 the last trip of his death, he was invited to go to a mystical gathering of monks, you know, of a wide variety of religions, but mostly Buddhists. And he was invited there because he was a Christian, you know, but not only a Christian, but a Catholic Christian, not only a Christian Catholic, but a Christian Catholic who's a Trappist monk, you know what I mean? And a mystic. See, so, but he wasn't there to try to convert people. You know, he was there to share with them and to learn and understand and bring all of who he was. You know what I mean? So it allowed this mutuality of gardening rather than warrior. You know, mm-hmm. and I, if we can hold that with creating these common cause communities that are service centric rather than teaching centric, that might feel a little bit more like a vacuum than oxygen, then. Mm-hmm. We can participate together, not losing who we are. Right. You know what I mean? If you're conservative and someone else is liberal and they're liberal, you're conservative or progressive, whatever, just you're engaging each other. And it's in that way. And I honestly, that's re- one attraction to the disciples. It's, yeah. you know, unity in a fractured world. And that really helps in that way for me. Yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's another bit of great wisdom. Um, you know, I was thinking about that uh, about us having this conversation, and, and I kept thinking about the ways in which um, our relationship has you know given me opportunities to intersect with people I probably never would have, different faith traditions, different backgrounds, etc. And um, I always kind of winced when someone would um, charge that sort of practice with what they would call ecumenism, you know, um, and, and because any ism, you know, becomes a problem, no matter who, what, what it is, you know, it becomes a problem. And, and that's where I got to thinking that rather than, um, rather than think about um, uh, that uh, ecumenical ecumenism, um, I thought about John Frankie's uh, little book where he, didn't use pluralism, but use plurality. And and what what great uh, piece of wisdom is it if we let all these traditions, uh, the disciples and 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 we we Southern Baptists and 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 others, uh, you know, ex- exist in a way that whatever form we're using for that light, we give grace and humility and and the both and as possibility rather than you know, go back to the traditional either or. And then you think about how, what kind of invitations we might receive. Would uh, Buddhist monks invite us? You know, yeah. what, what group would it be that would invite us? And, and I have to think that if no outside group, what you consider outside is inviting you, you've got some work to do. Yeah. Well, and, you know, in some ways, that's what the ooze was. You know what I mean? It invited everyone to come in, even if it was if an avatar back then, you know, because right. you couldn't be revealed, whatever. Right. But, like, I just spoke uh, last uh, November at uh, Lean Startup. 
which is a huge uh, business group um, and uh, uh, $2,600 a ticket for three days. I mean, crazy. But they were looking at what we're doing at Hatchery and Common Cause Communities, and they're going, wow, we never even thought that these business principles, the lean methodology, could be used in nonprofits, especially religious organizations. And so they are fascinated what we're going we're not going there to try to convert. We're there to learn. I want to learn, you know, and meet and hear. And then I'll bring it to my community. They'll bring it to their community. Um, and it was a wonderful time where Terry was doing a huge part with the Jewish community in San Francisco than what I was doing. And Ken was doing something back east. And it was a wonderful co-learning time of religious leaders. And then everybody kind of got to watch us play, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it was fascinating. And so I do agree. I think that if you're doing something of light, of beauty, of that sweet aroma, then, uh, you know, when people say, well, you know, uh, I'm, uh, they're offended of the gospel or nah, they're offended of you, you know, and what the way you're presenting that or whatever, you know, like I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm like, yeah, but this isn't the gospel. You're giving off something. And I think, you know, that that's probably true of all religions. You can point to those who tend to be a little bit more uh, radical or fanatical or whatever, or fundamental, you know. And in that way, I think, again, uh, all I would ask, again, I don't want to judge anyone. Each person has to look deep within their own soul. But if we're not given a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of self-control, you know what I'm saying, right. and humility, then, then at that point, I think it is um, something that's life-giving, rather than something that's, you know, uh, choking the life out of the conversation, the relationship, whatever. I mean, it was beautiful to think of Jesus walking around with people he wasn't supposed to, you know, telling stories about people who shouldn't have been the heroes, you know, Um, saying you've heard it said, but I tell you uh, even a deeper, harder way of going. Like, I don't believe that Common Cause Communities is a commercial sellout, easy way. I actually think it's much easier to do it the other way because that's what I know. I fall to that all the time. But it seems like almost maybe the more difficult way is to ask the tough question and deeply theologically working through why you do what you do. Here's just a quick little story. One of our innovators is doing uh, disabilities, right? Yeah. So when they create their common cause community, they have to try to think about this. So Nathaniel's thinking, wow, what is it about that? And as they delved into the theology of disabilities, really coming to the point where they're, you know, the people he's serving, you know, uh, those who are different, you know, they're not the broken ones. There's something deep within our own soul that's broken that we don't want to sit in a church with someone who's behaving just the way they're, they're, they are, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because we're afraid of disabilities in our own life. We're afraid of the brokenness, whatever. Well, so, man, now it's, it's not just about trying to create a cause that helps these people. It's the inner work that we walk through. It's just like any time you go on a mission trip, you know what I mean, or whatever else. It's never about the mission. It's about you, you know. And it's a deep work that happens. And I think that really we're missing the beauty of ministry, the beauty of spiritual development, Hmm. the beauty of service, uh, if we start to kind of do the them and us kind of deal. Yeah, that's great. Man, listen... Um, I, I thank you for 
getting on the treadmill and on Zoom and, and sharing a conversation, man, because uh, it's always inspiring, always encouraging, always brings back great memories and, and looking forward to future possibilities together. And, and I, I just want to say a big thank you for the time you gave me today, Spence. Absolutely. I love it. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. I'll make sure to let everybody know where to find you and uh, startupseminary.org, uh, Hatchery uh, LA, and uh, and who knows, maybe someone listening will say, man, I, I need to be involved in, in one of those common cause communities. I need to go learn about that. Maybe they'll come out and hang out with you. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. LA is fun. I, I, I do know. <laughs> All, right. All right, man. Thanks, Spencer. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Good to see you. Well, I just wanted to uh, leave you with a couple thoughts. You know, maybe we ought to uh, have some conversations in the uh, comment section or email me at uh, doc.todd at gmail.com. And let's talk about this model and, and maybe how we view models as temporary expressions as we uh, try to uh, take a stock or take account of the cultural setting and circumstances and see what uh, taps into the ethos of uh, this generation or that generation or a generation to come and how we can continue to uh, see, as Guter called it, the continuing conversion of the church as it, it exists to express the presence of Christ in the world as uh, a witness to God's love in Jesus. And so if you're interested in that, we could get a group together, have ongoing conversations about that. Um, I, I wanted to also uh, let you know to remember to check the show notes of the blog post. Uh, have a link to Spencer's book, Making Sense of Church. I still think it's as relevant as it was when he wrote it uh, in 2002. And I think it, it bodes well if uh, pastors, leaders uh, can grasp the power of metaphor. I'll uh, put a link to a, a book on uh, the metaphor I'm currently reading, I Is Another, by James Geary, uh, subtitled The Secret Life of Metaphor and How It Shapes the Way We See the World. And then maybe it'll lead you to explore some of the ways Jesus used metaphor uh, pictures. Uh, we, we often refer to the parables. And those are uh, really conversations that open up uh, our awareness and alertness to Jesus himself and the kingdom and the world. So I'm really interested in that, and, and if you're interested, we could, we could carry on some conversations uh, about that. Uh, as always, I want to thank you for listening, and you could do us a favor, and you could give us a rating and review uh, over in iTunes. You log into your account and rate and review, and, and they really verify the uh, uh, commenter, probably looking up your ISP to make sure you're not a bot or something. So it won't show up immediately. So if you get a little frustrated and wonder why it doesn't show up, it will within about 24 hours. And it's always a great help to get found and let others see kind of what you're thinking uh, about the podcast and its value. And as always, if you've got a suggestion for a guest to be interviewed and have on uh, Pathological, then um, please uh, shoot me an email, leave me a, a comment and, and let me know you know, who you'd like uh, me to get on the, the podcast. Remember, this is Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. This is Todd Littleton. And as always, I'm glad to uh, share conversations I have that I find helpful with uh, friends and folks I've met along the way that have helped broaden my uh, awareness to the work of God in the world and the vocation of pastoring. 
maybe you'd like to get together. So reach out, uh, send me an email, and I'll, I'll get with you. And uh, maybe we can uh, together continue this journey of how to uh, talk about the intersection of pastoring, uh, the presence of Christ, and uh, theology in the everyday experiences of life. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time, peace.